the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 43 through 47 this morning. The Sermon on the Mount, page 1116. If you're using that Bible under the seat in front of you. So just a heads up, this may be Christ's most challenging command to us in the entire Sermon on the Mount. Dare I say this is the most challenging command to us as Christians in the entire New Testament. So let's pray. Lord, challenge us. Thank you, Lord, that you challenge us. Thank you that you call us to a life that's beyond us. So that you might shine through our lives. Lord, help us to understand this challenge and to desire to obey you in it, Lord. And certainly we need your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus is quoting directly from the law of Moses in verse 43. He's quoting from Leviticus 19. Let me just read it to you. The written law said, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now that's what the written law of Moses said. You shall love your neighbor. You notice in verse 43 that those words are in italics. Jesus is quoting directly from the law. The second part of verse 43, and hate your enemy, is not in italics. The law never says to hate your enemy. There's not one place in the Old Testament law of Moses where it says, hate your enemy. That was added. That was added by the scribes, the Pharisees, the scholars, the religious elite. Remember, they had their oral interpretation of the law. They would put their spin on it. And this is an added corollary to what the law had said. They argued, well, the law says that we should actively love our neighbor... So the opposite of that must also be true. We should act actively hate our enemy. And that's what they believed. And they hated their enemies. They justified their hatred. They expressed hatred. They encouraged hatred. And it bled from the top down into the general population. There was a lot of hatred among the Jewish people. In the days of Jesus, they hated the Roman officials who were in charge of their land. They hated the Samaritans. 
Samaritans were a group of Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles. The full-blooded Jews hated the Samaritans. Rabbi said, let no man eat the bread of the Samaritans, for he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. They would pray, Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. Can you imagine praying something like that? They hated tax collectors. They hated the sinners, the unclean. They had a terrible hatred towards Gentiles. They believed that Gentiles were outside the mercy of God, that they were created to be fuel for the fires of hell. One Pharisee said, If a Jew sees a Gentile fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him up. Let him drown. That's a Gentile. That's not your neighbor. So profound hatred. And the sad thing is they thought that they were honoring God by despising anyone who was not Jewish. They suggested that this was godly. They argued that their hatred of enemies was part of God's righteous judgment against them. Ugly. When anybody uses a religion as an avenue of of hatred. It's sick. It's disgusting. We all look at it and we go, yuck. But take a step back. Think about this. Is this not the conventional teaching on the streets today? Is this not the action in everyday life? This is the natural attitude and action of the natural man. In fact, If you were really honest, you sort of believe this. If someone loves me, I love them. If someone does good to me, I do good in return. If someone hates me, I hate them. If someone does bad to me, I do bad in return. I think we all sort of feel that way. To think otherwise sort of offends your sense of right and wrong. I think all of us as Christians can be like the religious person who said, may those that love us love us, and those that don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles. So we'll know them by their limping. We all have that. But with divine authority, Jesus dismantled that. With divine authority, in verse 44, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies. The religious establishment might be saying this, But I say to you. Conventional thought on the street may be saying, But I say to you. Your natural tendency might be this, But I say to you. Love your enemies. Jesus says, I charge you, love your enemies. As my people, Jesus says, your love will not be limited to people you know and love. Your love will not be limited to people from your own racial background. 
Your love will not be limited to only people that are nice to you. Your love will be unlimited. You'll love all people. You'll love your neighbors, and you'll love my, your enemies. Now, let's not water that down. Let's not sugarcoat that. Enemies are not good people, are they? They're tough. You know, it's, it's your, the, the word is it's your, your arch enemy, your nemesis. The Lex Luthor to Superman. Jesus says, I command you to love all those Lex Luthers in your life. All of those people in your life that are the least deserving of your love. Love them. That person who's always spreading vicious rumors about you. The boss, the co-worker who wants to get you fired. The competitor who wants to put you out of business. The next door neighbor who seems to do everything possible to make your life miserable. The official or government entity that comes after your free speech and Christian beliefs. That person who abused you, who committed a crime against you. Jesus says, love them. Right now, you're thinking of some people in your life, aren't you? I know I sure did as I read this. And you're thinking to yourself, really, Jesus? You got to be kidding, right? Seriously? Jesus is serious. Love your enemies. Now, what kind of love is this? This isn't a natural love. This is a supernatural love. In fact, the word for love in verse 44 and in this passage is that well-known Greek word agapeo. This is agape. This is, this is a supernatural love. This is unconditional love. This is sacrificial love. This is enduring, patient love. This is divine love. This is the way that God loves you. It's been said to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good, well, that's human. To return good for evil. That's divine. We're to love with this supernatural love. And understand that this is also a choice to make. This is something that you choose to do by your liberal, deliberate act of will. This is not a feeling. This is not the warm fuzzies. Who could have warm fuzzies for an enemy? Oh, I just adore that person who hates me so. They're so cute the way they make my life miserable. No, that's ridiculous, right? We can't do that. It's choosing. Richard Linsky writes, I cannot like a low, mean criminal who may have robbed me and threatened my life. 
He says, I can't like a lying, slanderous fellow who has assaulted me again and again, insulted. But I can, by the grace of Christ, love them. See what is wrong with them and work to free them from their vicious way. It's a supernatural love. It's a decision to make. It's a choice to make. And it's also an active love. It's not this passive thing. It's active. The end of verse 44 there, Jesus said, Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Spitefully use you, that is the ugliest language in in Greek. This is the person who mistreats you, who takes advantage of you, who exploits you, who accuses you falsely, insults you, threatens you. Jesus says, pray for that person. Pray for those who persecute you. This is the word that means people who pursue you relentlessly, intent on harming you. These are the ones going after you. This is a word that's most often used in the New Testament that's associated with your Christian faith, your belief. Being persecuted for loving God, for serving him. Jesus said, pray for them. And it's not the Lord, take them out prayer, right? Pray for their well-being. Pray for their salvation. I personally believe that that's a real, real important step for us to take as Christians when we're dealing with that. Really pray for that person. Did you know praying for an enemy can soften your heart? The Holy Spirit quiets your soul and gives you an insight and a compassion. A big picture. Longfellow said... If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. Pray for that. Yes, that person who hurt you. Pray for them. Jesus says here in verse 44, bless Those who curse you. Now, this isn't someone cursing at you, cussing you out, calling you all sorts of vile names. This is the person who truly wants you cursed. The person who truly wishes evil upon you. They wish you'd be ruined. They wish you'd lose your health, your family, your business, your life. They wish that you would live in misery. And they would gladly do anything to help make that happen. Jesus said, bless them. Wish the best for them. And then what I think is probably the hardest detail of all 
Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. Actively do good things for your enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the idea of praying for an enemy and blessing an enemy from a distance in the security of my prayer closet or in my sanctuary at church. But the thought of having to engage, interact, do as Paul said in Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them a drink. Well, my brother and sister in Christ, that's what King Jesus has commanded us to do. We are to love our enemies. We are to love our enemies with a supernatural love. We're to choose to do so. And we're to love our enemies with an active, supernatural love. Now, what are the reasons for this? Why would... Jesus command us to do this. Why should we obey this? Well, quite simply, because you're a Christian. And as Christians, we are children of God. God is our Heavenly Father. And we're to take on the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. In verse 45, Jesus says, Love your enemy in all these ways, verse 45, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You love like this, you love your enemies, then you're behaving like your heavenly father. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You think you have enemies? God has a lot more enemies than you do. There's a lot of people who hate God. There are militant atheists who blaspheme God. And you know some of them, and they do it very publicly. There are people who rail against God. There are Total hedonists and pagans who say, don't tell me anything about God. Nothing's going to change my life. You want to know how much people hate God? Look what they did to the Son of God when he came to earth. God has lots of enemies. And it says here, Jesus says, my father pours blessing, provision, life upon the good and the bad alike. Good people get sunshine. So do wicked people. Just people get rain to water their crops and have a nice harvest. So do unjust people. A guy like Charles Manson breathes the same air as a guy like Billy Graham. The blessing of life. Daily provision. 
the goodness of God poured out upon people. And so should we as children of God bless the good and the bad, the hostiles and the friendlies, because our God has done so. And Christian, think of this for just a moment. There was a time in your life when you were an enemy of God. Did you know that? Do you know that we're all born with a sinful nature? The scripture says that all sinners are enemies of God. He's holy. We're sinful. Our sin put us at enmity with God. We were enemies. We were hostiles. But God loves us. God's a God of grace. He sent his son to offer up his life on the cross for our sins. And he rose again that third day. And it is by the grace of God, my brother, my sister in Christ, that your eyes have been opened to the gospel message. That somebody shared the good news with you and you responded. You became a child of God. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, Christian, you're a child of God who has benefited greatly from the love of God and you continue to do so every day and you will do so for all of eternity. So shouldn't we turn around and show that same type of love to others? Love your enemy with the same love that God loved you with when you were his enemy. There's another reason why we should obey this commandment. It distinguishes us from the world. It marks you. It shows other people in your life that you're different. Jesus says in verse 46, I love this. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? I love it. Loving people who love you is easy. Everyone's doing it. Where's the reward in that, bro? Loving your bro. Your brethren, your friends. Greeting them, being friendly. That's easy. Where's the reward in that, Jesus said? Everyone does that from the most righteous to the most wicked. Jesus mentions the tax collectors. The tax collectors, man, they were were considered the scum of the earth. These were Jews who bought tax collection agencies from Rome to collect taxes for Rome from the Jews. These men were considered traitors. And then they were thieves. They could steal. They could... Charge as much as they want. They lived these 
wealthy, exorbitant, playboy lifestyles. They were hated. Jesus says, even that group that you would consider to be the most wicked on planet earth loves those who love them. Greets their friends. Anyone can do that. The thing that marks you, that sets you apart, is when you love your enemies. The test of real love is in how one relates not to saints and scholars, but to rascals. Oswald Sanders writes, The master expects from his disciples such conduct as can be explained only in terms of the supernatural. And I will tell you, loving your enemy is perhaps your greatest opportunity for Christ-likeness. It's that part that will make you shine. And why are we supposed to stand out? Because we're supposed to shine. We are to be the salt of the earth, the light in a dark world. We're to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And when people see something supernaturally like that, they're drawn to Christ. People are watching the way you treat your enemies. People are listening to the way you talk about your enemies. What if they saw supernatural love there? What about showing that supernatural love to that enemy and it saving them? Would you be willing to love your enemy if that enemy could become a friend? And eventually even a friend of God. A fellow brother or sister of Christ in the church. One of Abraham Lincoln's associates thought that he was way too soft on his enemies. He'd say, why do you insist on trying to make friends of them? You should be trying to destroy them. To which Lincoln replied, am I not destroying my enemies when I make them my friends? Christian, you shouldn't be out there wanting to destroy your enemies with hatred and revenge. Destroy your enemies by turning them into friends. Let them see that supernatural love that is only possible for a person who's truly born again. Now I can see, I can hear. We all get it. You can be saying to me, I get it, I understand. But it's too hard. You have no idea this person and how bad they've hurt me. This can't be done in your own strength. It can't be. You can only do it through supernatural power. And if you're a born-again Christian, you have that power. 
The Holy Spirit is living inside you. And he can help you. And people have done it. Look at the example that Jesus gave to us. Jesus loved people that were enemies, that hurt him deeply. One of his 12, one of his best friends, Judas, betrayed him. And the scripture says Jesus loved that man to the very end. Do you know that in the upper room, Jesus knelt before Judas and washed his feet? And had Judas sit at the seat of honor? Whoa. You remember when uh, Jesus was arrested in the garden and they came with the soldiers? And Peter got his sword out. And he was aiming for the head. Missed. Only got the ear. Cut the ear off of that soldier. That was one of the enemies of Christ. What did Jesus do? Put the ear back on. Instantaneous healing. Peter hurt Jesus deeply, denied him three times. You remember that story. Jesus loved him and restored him. Now, you might be thinking, that's Jesus. He's the son of God. He can do stuff like that, right? While being crucified, pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That is Jesus. And can I remind you that Jesus lives in you? The work of Christ, the power of Christ is in you. And he can love through you. Others have proven that. Stephen was the very first martyr of the church. You remember his story? He was preaching the truth. They stoned him. As he's dying, he prayed out loud in front of everyone, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. The early church eventually broke the barrier of the Jewish-Gentile thing. Guys like Paul the Apostle began, salvation goes to the Gentiles just like the Jews. And there was a beautiful love that was hard. It was hard to overcome, but they did it. I think of people in, in the Old Testament. I think of Joseph. You remember his story? Thrown in a pit by his brothers? Sold into slavery in Egypt? Telling dad, yeah, he's been eaten by a wild beast. And yet at the end of that story, Joseph blesses his brothers. Takes care of them. What about David? What about King David before he was king? Who was king before him? Saul. Was Saul a nice guy? He was an arch enemy of David. Chased David all over the place. Committed to taking him out. There was a time where David had the opportunity to kill Saul. Could have done it. But he didn't. There are people who have loved their enemies. By the power of God. 
and we can too. It wasn't easy for Corey Ten Boom to forgive the Nazi captors who had tormented her at Ravensbrück. They had caused her to suffer horribly, and even worse, they had caused the death of her sister Betsy. Ten years after her release, Corey ran into a lady who wouldn't look her in the eyes. Asking about her, Corey was told that the woman had been a nurse at a concentration camp. Suddenly, the memories flashed back. Corey recalled taking Betsy to the infirmary to see this woman. Betsy's feet were paralyzed and she was dying, and the nurse had been cruel and sharp-tongued. Corey's hatred now returned with vengeance, her rage so boiled that she knew of but one thing to do. Forgive me, she cried out to the Lord. Forgive my hatred. Oh, Lord, teach me to love my enemies. The blood of Jesus Christ seemed to suddenly cool her embittered heart. And Corey felt the rage being displaced with a divine love she couldn't explain. She began praying for that woman. And one day shortly afterwards, she called the hospital where the nurse worked and invited the woman to a meeting at which she was speaking. What? You want me to come? Yes, that's why I called you. Please come. Then I'll come. That evening, the nurse listened carefully to Corey's talk. And afterward, Corey sat down with her, opened her Bible, and explained 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. The woman seemed to thirst for Corey's quiet, confident words about God's love for us, his enemies. And that night, a formal captive led her former captor to a decision that made the angels sing in heaven. God had taken Corey's subconscious feelings of hatred. She later explained he transformed them, using them as a window through which his light could shine into a darkened heart. It is possible. God can do miracles like that in and through you. And by the way, when he helps you to love your enemies, he frees you from hatred and bitterness and resentment and grudges that weigh you down. The greatest force on earth isn't a tornado or tsunami or lightning bolt or volcano or even a nuclear warhead. The mightiest power is love. A love like that. Let's bow our heads. Let's ask Jesus... Lord, as your people, I pray that that awareness of how much you love us, being so undeserving of that love, I pray that that would never, that we wouldn't lose sight of that. You're a God of grace and you've poured your grace out upon our lives. You love us. You love us like no other. 
when we were your enemies. So Lord, help us to love others the way you loved us. Lord, that we would love all those people in our lives, the, our family members, our friends, brothers and sisters here at church, but also those difficult people. Lord, I pray even now that you would help each one of us to make the hard decision to reach out to that difficult person. And then with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, um, maybe your life... has been marked by a lot of hatred and bitterness. You have a hatred towards other people. You have grudges. And my friend, that's such a hard, heavy weight to carry. Replace that hatred with supernatural love. Please know how much God loves you. More than anyone else could love you, that's how much God loves you. He demonstrated his love for you that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Ask him to wash away your sins. Ask him to fill your heart, your life with his spirit and his love. In just a simple, quiet prayer, cry of the heart. Just say this to the Lord. Lord, save me. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Lord, thank you for your love. Wash away all my sins. I put my faith and my trust in you. Make me born again. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand. We're going to close with this last song together.